Hi, this is Karin Zissis of ASCOA Online. Expectations were high for Xiomara Castro when she was elected Honduras' president in November of 2021. The former first lady won the vote with a commanding lead against the National Party, which had been in power for 12 years. Despite predictions of electoral malpractice and even violence, Election Day went smoothly. Now, Castro's been in office for 100 days, and it's been an eventful few months. Some steps have been taken on her signature issues like corruption and trade, but still, battles with Congress and accusations of nepotism have slowed the agenda. I think that's one of the biggest things right now is that people are waiting and hoping for her to really come to the forefront and show that she's the one leading by just being out there more. She hasn't been particularly visible during these first three months. That's Jeff Ernst, a freelance journalist who covers Honduras. He explained that Castro's leadership has gotten overshadowed and two ex-presidents are to blame. One is her husband, former President Mel Zelaya, who is playing an active and vocal role in her administration. The other is her predecessor, Juan Orlando Hernandez, who was recently extradited to the United States on charges of narco-trafficking. But Castro still has plenty of time to take control of the reins, and Honduras could use a transformative leader to tackle long-standing problems such as impunity, corruption, and violence. And then there's migration. Honduras is one of the countries involved in the United States' root cause of migration strategy. And Washington is looking to Castro for partnership on the issue. A lot of Xiomara Castro's agenda is really in unison with a lot of the Biden administration's objectives. My colleague, Chase Harrison, spoke with Jeff Ernst about Castro's agenda, the state of the National Party, and Honduras's role in Central and Latin America alike. You're listening to Latin America in Focus. Latino America in Foco. America Latina in Foco. A podcast by America Society, Council of the Americas on politics, economics, and culture in the region. Jeff, thanks for coming on Latin America in Focus. Thanks for having me. We're about 100 days out from the inauguration of Xiomara Castro as the president of Honduras. She was elected back at the end of November 2021 in kind of a watershed moment for the country's politics, because her husband, Manuel Zelaya, had been president of Honduras, but was removed in what many consider to be a coup in 2009. So when Castro won the presidency, she brought both her family and the Honduran left back into power. And there were pretty high expectations for Xiomara Castro. Jeff, we're about three months into her presidency. How is she meeting those expectations? We always have this arbitrary number of 100 days. Um, and, and I think it's, it's really tough to say at this point because this isn't your average government transition. This is a transition that comes after 12 years of absolute control in, in one party. And it's not a transition where the outgoing party did everything it could or even a minimum, really, to ensure a smooth transition to the new government. So the outgoing party, just to be clear, is the National Party, which was the party that replaced Manuel Zelaya in 2009. Correct. That won the election following 
the coup, yes. And they've governed ever since the last eight years under Juan Orlando Hernandez, who really became increasingly authoritarian and really concentrated power. So on their way out, they shredded documents, they you know, stole equipment, you know, they didn't do anything to try to make this a smooth transition. So a hundred days in, it's hard to say. Some of her promises from the campaign have been achieved. Most recently, they overturned a controversial law that created these essentially model cities or, or special economic zones called the Zetes that became a big campaign issue this past year. Although the law was passed in 2012, it wasn't until the past couple of years that these Zetas started to appear and, and generate controversy. So when she signed the law overturning that, she called it one of her most important days in, in the first three months of her administration. You know, they've overturned other laws, such as a controversial law called the Law of Secrets that put a lot of government spending you know, under a protective order, classified it, which hindered anti-corruption efforts. There have been other reforms that have been overturned that also hindered anti-corruption efforts. But, you know, there's also been definitely some, you know, missteps along the way, probably most notably with a controversial amnesty law that's been called a corruption pact and was really appears to have been oriented towards exonerating people from uh, Mel Zelaya's administration who were accused of corruption or other crimes during their administration. While it, there's no doubt that some of those were politically motivated and, and potentially deserving of amnesty, there's, there's also been others that don't appear to be politically motivated charges. She started out with, with chaos in Congress as there was a battle over who would form the executive board of Congress and be president of Congress. And so things got started off on the wrong foot. There's been lots of controversy over nepotism in her administration. So it hasn't been this, uh, the smoothest transition. There have been some, like I said, uh, accomplishments of her campaign promises. There's a lot of other stuff left to be done. One thing notable, I think, is, is that she could, with just a stroke of a pen, throw out a prohibition on emergency contraceptives. Honduras is the only country in Latin America that both prohibits abortion in all circumstances, as well as prohibits completely emergency contraceptives. As the first female president, a lot of people were hoping that she would address that immediately. Not only is she Honduras's first female president, but she's actually the only female president in Latin America right now, which is notable. Just to understand a little bit these 100 days better, the accomplishments that you're talking about, did these come from votes in Congress? When you say stroke of the pen, is there a way for her to have executive orders? Like, How is she getting the institutions to work with her presidency? Ultimately, after the battle over control of Congress, it ended up in the hands of the coalition that helped her get elected. So she's got a friendly Congress that has been working with her on you know, a lot of these issues. So a lot of this has come from votes in Congress that she then ratified. Others, if I'm not mistaken, the prohibition against new open air minds. I believe that was an executive order. So, so she has, you know, like in the United States can do a little of both. It, it depends. 
the emergency contraceptives, you know, there's two ways she could do it is she could do an executive decree or the health ministry could do something kind of similar. But the health minister that she appointed said it wasn't a priority, although it was definitely a campaign promise of hers and one that feminist groups and a lot of people really in Honduras expected to be taking care of it at this point. You know, another one of her campaign promises was around corruption. You mentioned this amnesty law, but I know when she ran, she talked about creating some sort of independent corruption watchdog group, sort of like the UN-backed corruption groups we saw CSIG in Guatemala as an example. Has there been any progress on this front, or has that sort of fallen to the wayside for the amnesty bill? There has been some progress on that, and actually in May... The UN is going to send an exploratory team to Honduras. So far, it looks like both sides are interested in making it happen and establishing a new anti-corruption commission to replace the one that Honduras had previously that was called the MOXI. That one was backed by the OAS. This time, they're looking for backing from the UN. We'll see how that evolves over the next few months, whether it's going to be more like the CCIG in Guatemala, which you know really had more teeth, uh, it had prosecutorial powers, or the MOXI in Honduras, which was just a company mission, could not present its own indictments, uh, relied on the Honduran justice system to do that. Overall, that worked during the MOXI's four years in Honduras, but The cases that they presented in conjunction with Honduran authorities were blocked by the court systems. So coming up next year will be a crucial election of the Supreme Court, as well as there will be a new attorney general soon, too. So those two things could also be big factors in how effective any new anti-corruption commission is. You know, one politician in the country who's had his own corruption scandals is Manuel Mel Zelaya, Xiomara Castro's husband. How does his presence in the country affect her ability to push anti-corruption efforts? And more broadly, what role has he been playing in his wife's presidency? During the campaign, they were clearly very sensitive of the perception that Mel is pulling the strings behind the scenes. He was completely absent from, you know, her campaign events. Since taking office, it's often appeared that he's speaking more than she has. I think from a optics and communication standpoint, that's been a blunder during the first three months of her administration. And, and you know, there's hope that she will move more to the forefront in the future. Mel... Yes, you know, there was definitely corruption scandals during his administration, but a lot of that is so old now that to investigate it or bring a case at this point, if it hasn't already advanced in in some way through the justice system, it would be very difficult. So I don't think that there's much of an impediment there to Ziomana's administration taking you know, important steps towards combating corruption in the country because for the past 12 years, the National Party pretty much locked out 
the opposition from the corruption that they were committing, other than the Liberal Party, which hasn't wasn't really opposition to them, uh, uh, although they kind of work together in a lot of ways. Most members, save for maybe some exception, most members of Giomana's party or or the Salvador Nasrallah, the vice president's new party, you know, they, they weren't even permitted to partake in the corruption of the past dozen years. So by bringing in anti-corruption mission, she's not really putting her own party or her husband or people from her husband's administration at risk of prosecution. You know, it's hard to talk about the National Party without talking about Juan Orlando Hernandez, who was the president for two terms immediately preceding Xiomara Castro and a member of that party. And now he is being or was extradited to the United States on April 21st on charges of being complicit in drug trafficking when he was president. We have breaking news from Honduras, where the country's former president is being sent to the U.S. this morning to face allegations of taking bribes. How is the case against JOH, as he's known, factoring into Xiomara Castro's presidency? Has she spoken on the issue? Is it sucking up political oxygen? What's going on with that? I think it's been a a gift for her administration. She hasn't said hardly anything about it. Uh, It's been very quiet and not, you know, looking to score political points off of it. That might be motivated in part by the fact that her husband has been accused in U.S. courts of, of some of the same activity, though, to a much, much lesser degree during his administration. But really, the extradition of Juan Orlando since two months ago when he was arrested on February 15th. It's dominated the news cycle ever since then. It's hard to see that as anything but a good thing for her, you know, distracting from maybe some of the fumbles along the way uh, uh, as her administration tries to get its feet off the ground. It's also important that in this case, in the extradition of Juan Orlando Hernandez, the rule of law has prevailed. This in a country where, you know, he was up until he left office on January 27th, he was essentially untouchable. And politicians are so rarely ever forced to face any justice system in Honduras or anywhere for any crimes they might have committed. And before she took office, there were rumors in a lot of circles that Mel must have made some sort of deal with Juan Orlando, promising him that he wouldn't be extradited. And for that reason, they accepted Ziomara's win, you know. So it's it's nothing but a good thing for her. Wow, that's interesting because I feel like there was some surprise internationally that the National Party, when they lost the election at the end of November, you know, immediately recognized that Castro had won and didn't contest those results. But certainly this case is going to be a really trying moment in the relationship between Honduras and the United States. And I want to talk about the United States for a moment because one of the big initiatives of the Biden-Harris administration has been what's known as the root causes of migration policy, which is a policy that's mainly dealing with Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala to try to solve um, root causes of migration like rule of law, like poverty alleviation, to stop the flow of migrants northwards. It seemed like at the beginning of this initiative, Guatemala was going to be sort of the central partner, but that relationship has been tense. Now that Castro's in office, has this changed the role of Honduras in this initiative? Has she interacted much with 
figures like Harris on issues of immigration? Kamala Harris attended her inauguration, which was hugely symbolic. Kamala! 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 The highest level U.S. official to ever attend the inauguration of a, of a Honduran president. And it's clear that they've really pivoted towards Honduras. They see an opportunity to work with new actors. I think that a lot of Xiomara Castro's agenda is really in unison with a lot of the Biden administration's objectives for the region, fighting corruption, improving economic opportunity, addressing climate change. There isn't really many issues where there's a lot of space in between their positions. So at this point, you know, there's no no relationship with President Bukele from El Salvador anymore. President Giamate from Guatemala is constantly embroiled in corruption scandals involving his administration. So Honduras is clearly the preferred partner until they do something that makes that untenable. I wanted to zoom the lens out a little bit more regionally to talk about how Xiomara Castro fits into the pantheon of Latin American leaders right now. You know, there's increasing discussion about the sort of split in the region between this old left and and the new left, and the new left best being represented by Gabriel Boric, a left that's really concerned with a rights-based agenda, with issues like climate change, rights of gender and sexuality. And you talked earlier about contraception being this tricky issue for her. Where do you see Xiomara Castro fitting in with the Latin American left and perhaps the Latin American community more at large? I think that her administration is clearly trying to distance itself a bit from that old Latin American left that's best represented currently by Daniel Ortega in Nicaragua and and Nicolas Maduro in Venezuela. I don't believe anybody from Nicaragua showed up at the inauguration. I believe there were some officials from Venezuela but not super high level. Um, You know, Nicolás Maduro wasn't there, at least. Um, So one of the attacks against Castro and her husband, Mel, leading up the election and, and for many years has been that they wanted to turn Honduras into the next Venezuela or Nicaragua. So I think, I think they're clearly sensitive. I, at this point, the former president, Juan Orlando Hernandez, had, had a closer relationship with the Nicaraguan government than Castro has had. Uh, up till now, at least. So I I think she's trying to take her own path. There's definitely some familiarity and long-established bonds with certain figures on the Latin American left. You know, I believe Mexico's president, Andres Manuel López Obrador, is going to be visiting Honduras soon. So she definitely sees herself as part of that that group, but at the same time trying to distance herself from some some of the more negative elements in the the Latin American left. As a final question, you've done a lot of reportage from the streets in Honduras, you know, talking to average citizens. I want to know more about what the perception of Castro as a leader is at the individual level. What kind of chatter are you hearing from Hondurans about how they're feeling about her presidency? I think a lot of people are waiting for her to really take charge and and be more visible. She hasn't 
been particularly visible during these first three months. And, and that's what's fueling these rumors and speculation that Mel's pulling the strings. People see her as more honest and trustworthy and empathetic than her husband. And, you know, a lot of people that voted for her might not have voted for her husband. So I think that's one of the biggest things right now is that people are waiting and hoping for her to really come to the forefront and show that she's the one leading by just being out there more. Well, as you said, 100 days isn't very long. She's got a full four-year term left, so it'll be interesting to see if she can step into the spotlight more and tackle some of these tough issues we've talked about. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Karen Zissis. This podcast was produced by John Orbach. Our executive producer is Luisa Lemming. The music featured in this episode was performed by Honduran artist Aurelio Martinez at America Society. Check the podcast notes to catch a YouTube video of the concert. To learn more about upcoming performances, visit musicoftheamericas.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can help us spread the word. Give us five stars, write a review, share, and subscribe at Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts.